Hi, I'm Jacqueline Pelfi with Sanford Health News, and I'm here today with Dr. Stephen Powell, an oncologist. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, so we have been doing a series of podcasts um, where we've been talking to a bunch of our folks about personalized medicine and a lot about cancer lately. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, what personalized medicine in cancer is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually a term that has had a lot of buzz around it lately, but for a long time we've been doing personalized medicine in cancer. We oftentimes would personalize chemotherapy to a specific patient or their cancer type, but now kind of the modern era of medicine, when we think of personalized medicine or precision oncology, what we're thinking is um, actually looking at the tumor itself, finding out what's causing that tumor to grow or to avoid being destroyed, and trying to use treatments that will actually uh, specifically target that specific cancer in that patient. So it may be unique to that patient or unique to that cancer type. You know, I think um, you're right. It is definitely a buzzword. And, you know, doctors have been tailoring treatments to their patients since the first doctor treated the first patient, right? But now you just have so much more information. Absolutely. I think, you know, we're kind of at the forefront of our treatments really uh, coming into play right now. I think we've learned a lot about cancer over the past 100 years. I mean, 100 years ago, we really didn't know what caused cancer or what uh, made cancer cells. And over this time, we've just had a dramatic improvement in knowing the genetics of cancer, um, knowing how the immune system interplays with cancer, and knowing how other factors about your diet and the environment around you can have an impact. So I think now all that information is at our, our fingertips, and we can utilize that information to try to tailor treatments to best treat the cancer. When you um, first became interested in medicine, did you come into it because you wanted to do research, because you wanted to be a doctor, or because you were just way into cancer? <laughs> I mean, it was probably a combination of all three of those things. I, I worked in a cancer research lab um, as an undergraduate. I was an engineering major. and Okay, we... I hear a lot of doctors who say they used to be some kind of engineering <laughs> yeah. major or something. Well, how does that translate? I, I mean, we like to solve problems, I guess. I, yeah. you know, so, and I, I guess that fits into the research part of it. As an engineer, a lot of your training is trying to figure out, here's your problem, what's the best way to attack this? And you really come at it from all kinds of different angles to try to come up with the best solution. And um, you know, from a research perspective, trying to find new drugs, that was very interesting to me, is learning the biology of, some, of cancer and how it works, how do you intervene and manipulate and treat the most effective way possible. Um, how has that changed since you first started practicing? I mean, I think cancer treatment has changed dramatically in, in many good ways since I started. I mean, when I was in fellowship, uh, I still remember our treatments for melanoma. We had a chemotherapy drug, for instance, and that was it. And people lived on average seven months of stage four melanoma. And within, by the end of my training in 2013, um, it can completely change. We don't even use, hardly use chemotherapy anymore for melanoma. Now we're using things like immunotherapy and targeted therapies because we know so much more about how the cancer grows and how we can try to use treatments against it. How does that feel as a um, physician to sort of be on the front of a freight train watching all of these changes happen? I, I think it's great because, and, and we're seeing more and more people wanting to go into oncology and to be oncologists because you know, traditionally it was a, an area where we didn't have a lot of treatments and, you know, chemotherapy does work. It, it certainly ha it does work for certain cancers, but it doesn't work for all cancers. And when we talk about incurable cancers, it only can work for so long. So to be able to have all of these options available now and you can tailor them to each specific patient, I think it's, it's really rewarding and it, it allows you to really, uh, you know, try to tailor your treatments so people can live longer, feel better. And in many cases now we're actually seeing cancers that were not curable potentially curable. 
So becoming a, an oncologist is maybe a more hopeful career now than it used to be. <laughs> Absolutely. I know it's changed. It's changed quite a bit. So, yeah. That must feel good. I would think that feels really good to sit across the table from someone and give them better news than you could have when you started. Oh, absolutely. I think now anybody hears the word cancer and immediately it's, you know, you know, I mean, you stop listening at that point, right? It's cancer. It's a, it's a horrible diagnosis. But I think the important thing now or what we can actually tell people, well, you do have cancer, but we have these treatment options and they're good treatment options. And, you know, m- maybe now we have a cure for this when we previously didn't. Well, one of the ways that we are able to find some of these cures or see if something will or won't work is through clinical trials. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked before that at Sanford Health, we have over 300 clinical trials at any given time, which seems astonishing, right? Um, and you have had a fair amount of success yep. in some of these. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think clinical trials are very important. Um, they're oftentimes someone's first chance at getting a new treatment. And I think that that's why one of the main reasons I went into oncology is I worked in a lab, I developed these treatments, but if you never get to use them, you never get to give patients access to them, you know, they'll never make it a, a, as an option. And I think, so one of my goals is to try to bring in these exciting treatments. And we've brought in a number of clinical trials in cancer and probably our, our most successful, our trials have been with a drug called Pembrolizumab or Keytruda is the, the uh, trade name for that drug. I don't know which one of those names is harder to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one's harder to spell. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about that trial, which you recently spoke about. Yeah. So our first study of Keytruda um, in lung cancer was actually a study called Keynote 21. And we opened that, I believe it would have been in 2015 here. So we were one of only a few sites in the country that had it. And it was actually, that study was, they didn't even have a name for Keytruda then. It was called MK3475. So this was like brand new before we even knew it did anything. We knew that it it had some success in lung cancer, but it started out as a what we call an early phase clinical trial. So part of that study, we asked the question, what happens if you take our standard chemotherapy for lung cancer and you add Keytruda to it? Can it augment the effect of chemotherapy? And the findings from that initially were very profound. It essentially doubled um, the response to treatment. So patients having their cancer shrink, they had a twice as much chance of having their cancer tr- shrink by adding Keytruda to chemotherapy. That's crazy. It, it was, I mean, it was a big deal at the time. And, you know, and it also um, dramatically improved how long patients could live with stage four lung cancer at the time. So it was kind of a big deal at the time. It was a big first step in lung cancer, so to What's say. What's the prognosis in general for lung cancer? Can it, for for the folks listening at home. Yeah, I mean, on average, for somebody of stage four lung cancer, um, just as a whole, back when this study started, it was about a year. Um, wow. That was the average survival. And, you know, what these studies have shown that it actually has extended that maybe even up to two years or longer, um, depending on how patients do of treatment. What's your major risk factor for getting lung cancer? Is it still smoking? Still smoking is our, our number one risk factor. Okay. That's probably the, the predominant um, uh, reason for it. Um, and then there's, you know, there's some unknowns. Um, you know, we don't even know if the, the vaping and e-cigarettes and yeah. all that, what it's going to do. But I, I think smoking right now is probably the biggest so, and there's still a, a huge population at risk then, um, so an enormous amount of people who could be helped from this study. Um, I think it's always important every time we talk about clinical trials to remind our folks that when you go on to um, agree to be part of a clinical trial, you still get the standard of care. You just get something else too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Keynote 21, which was our first study that did this, patients actually knew exactly what they were getting. And the, the question was, was doing the combination with chemotherapy better or not? Patients knew as they went on it. And then actually the patients that, and this is 
often something in clinical trials, if you don't get the new treatment initially, they're offered the new treatment if their initial treatment stopped working. So all patients actually got access to the immunotherapy on the trial. Which is amazing to be able to, especially because it showed such improvement to have access to that here. So then what happened after that trial? So after that trial, uh, that led to Keynote 189, which is the other um, study that was a a, a big uh, clinical trial. So that was a massive study. So anytime, so when you do a clinical trial, the first step is to see, does the drug look like it's beneficial? And then the next trial will say, is this better than doing what we're doing now? And at the time, what we were doing now worldwide was chemo for lung cancer. And that, like I said, the average uh, estimated survival would be about a year. Um, So that was the big effort to compare these head to head. So chemo versus chemo plus immunotherapy is what Keynote 189 was. And it was an international trial of multiple sites. Um, you know, our site, Sanford, was one of the, the U.S. sites in, involved with it. But, I mean, this was in numerous countries. I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say it was in over 30 countries wow. they had this. Yeah. Um, tell me, describe what immunotherapy is. Yeah, I mean, immunotherapy, it, it encompasses a lot of different treatments, but the general idea of immunotherapy in cancer is drugs that actually activate or use your own immune system to fight or attack the cancer. Okay. Um, so you recently presented on this at a conference in Spain, and what is the, what's the update on this? Yeah, so the, the Which conference... Which is pretty exciting to be at. Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 you know, to be able to go to an international conference, you know, being from Sioux Falls, South Dakota is kind of a big deal. Um, but no, I mean, so the, um, the, the major finding of this is actually we wanted to look specifically at patients that had brain metastases. So at lung cancer, about a third of patients, unfortunately, the cancer spreads to their brain. And um, in that situation, it, actually, the average survival typically is only about nine months. Um, so that, you know, it's a pretty bad prognosis. So what we actually did is we looked at Keynote 21, Keynote 189, which we were part of, and then also a third study, Keynote 407, which looked at a separate type of lung cancer. And we looked to see how did people do that had the brain metastases where it had spread to the brain versus the people that didn't. And we wanted to compare, you know, how they did. And what that study, what this analysis showed is that, you know, when we initially, what I told you, nine months is the expected survival of somebody with brain metastases with just chemo, this actually extended does the average survival to 18 months, which is so pretty it big. It. Yeah, it, do- it doubles it. And actually in this study, when they looked at the people in the studies, their survival was only seven and a half months for the people that got chemo alone. So it actually almost nearly tripled it. So, I mean, it was wow. a big deal to do that um, because when cancer spreads to the brain, it's very difficult to treat. Chemotherapy doesn't go there. Um, really? So the key, yeah, oftentimes, uh, small amounts will, but it's not very effective in the brain. Our only treatments are usually radiation. So really the idea behind this is that perhaps these immunotherapies are actually allowing the immune system to get into the brain and help control the cancer. It seems sort of miraculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I, I personally have had two people that had this exact treatment that I have been going over two years now without their cancer coming back or growing in the brain. And they had, they showed up with uh, spots in the brain when normally it would be unheard of for somebody to have, to, to live that long when the cancer had spread to the brain. So, um, what is next for this? Yeah. I mean, so we're going in a lot of different directions. <laughs> I think, you know, the immunotherapies like Keytruda and Opdivo and some of these others that you're hearing about right now, they're here, they're, that we're, we're using them 
in our treatments, but we're actually now using them to try to cure cancers uh, earlier on. So when we catch cancer early, how do you use these treatments to try to improve our cure rates? Maybe with surgery or maybe with radiation or maybe even with chemotherapy. So that's, I think that area is moving pretty rapidly and we have a number of clinical trials doing that um, in a number of different cancers. My interest is how, is how do we build on immunotherapies? How do we use newer immunotherapies? So we have a, a lot of newer early phase clinical trials, as I said before, um, Keytruda started out as a, you know, a, basically a code name, right? So we have those new treatments that are now in early phase clinical trials, ranging all the way from viruses that actually can destroy cancers and spread and activate the immune system. Um, we have a couple trials of, uh, going on right now with that. We have some other really interesting uh, immunotherapies that actually inject directly into the tumor and it, it stimulates an immune response to that cancer. And then uh, we even now have vaccines that can train your immune system to try to attack cancer specifically. So that's kind of our next wave of attack is bringing in these more novel or newer treatments that are, are trying to come after the, the cancer from a different angle, so to say, because ultimately what's going to be what we need is we're going to have to combine these together in the right way specifically for a patient. So that's, to me, where precision oncology or precision medicine is going is we're going to try to figure out what specific makeup is going on in the cancer at that point in time mm -hmm. and how do you use these therapies wisely together to try to modulate the immune response or, or even maybe even use things like chemotherapy or targeted therapies to, to get rid of the cancer. So just like now when we're doing the first sort of um, some of these, not the first, but some of these trials where it's uh, chemotherapy plus Keytruda, someday it will be this plus this plus this. We just keep adding or to see. Yeah, I mean, I think as we learn more, I, I think it's going to be much more of a. Um, it's going to be much more of an orchestra, right? You have yeah, to not adding exactly everything right. together, but you know, first we're going to have this section play, and then this section is going to play, and then everybody's going to play together. I mean, that's where it's going. I think um, the traditional approach when we were developing chemos was like, well, this worked, let's add another one, and let's add, and we found side effects that yep. becomes an issue. But I think we're going to really orchestrate these treatments together in a fashion so that it, it, they'll work as effective as possible. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to me about this. And we'll definitely have you on again to see what happens next. All right. Thank you.